Hello, Terry here, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with UK stop motion animator Trevor Hardy about how he accomplished the near impossible. In 2018, he wrote and directed a 100 minute feature film animated entirely in stop motion. It's already run the circuit in Europe and I believe it's coming to theaters this month in the US. And the crazy thing about this film is that it wasn't produced by any of the major animation studios you might expect like Ardman or Leica. Trevor's gonna share the story of how it was basically jimmy rigged from scratch but still ended up having a million dollar budget. The film is called Strike and it's about a little mole who's tied to working in his family's gold mine while dreaming of playing in the World Cup. And if you've been following stop motion news, you might have heard of this film and honestly, I can't say enough good things about it. Besides the quirky humor and the story, the animation style is exactly what I love about stop motion. Everything is made of felt and plasticine and old bits of scraps and garbage, and you can see the love and fingerprints in each frame, and it's just so fantastic. I've also included the trailer in the description of this podcast, so go and check that out. Now, like I said before, Trevor is an accomplished stop motion animator and the owner of Pig Bird Stop Motion Studio. And besides Strike, some of his other credits include Watermill Farm, a series of short plasticine farm animal adventures created for Nickelodeon's Nick Jr. channel, and Pushkin, a multiple award-winning and BAFTA shortlisted film about an old lady who can't find her cat. Now, while all this may seem like a trail of successes, Trevor actually shares how gruff the path to following stop motion has been for him and gives a realistic view of what the industry is like in the UK and how hard it can be to make a living off of stop motion. Now, without further ado, let's jump right into the chat. Uh, so hi, Trev. Thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Terry. I'm good, thanks. Yep. Very yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the huge things I want to talk about in this chat is your film Strike, because mm. Like how how many fully stop motion animated films are made every year or even in a decade? Like you can probably count them on your hands. And to to do that like pretty independently, I think is incredible. Um, but you know, I always I always start this chat by kind of getting some background on what what is the driving force behind the creativity and why you chose this path of stop motion. And so, where did that begin for you? Um, what where did where did I actually get the bug for stop motion? Yeah, yeah. What, what, what bit you to pursue this career instead of something, you know, a little bit more uh, lucrative or stable? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dear. A question I ask myself every year. Why did I do this? No. Um, well, funny enough, uh, I start. It was about uh, it was about 1991, something like that. And I was working in a garage as a tire fitter. And unfortunately, the garage went bust and I was made redundant. But ironically, that night on Channel 4, um, they were doing a whole animation thing. And part of that was, um, one of them was uh, uh, Mark Baker's The Village. Another one was Peter Lord's, um, uh, what's it? Peter Lord's um, War Story and Nick Park's what, uh, Creature Comforts. No, not Creature Comforts, the, the Grand Day Out. Ah. And I, I saw this and um, it just I was just so intrigued by the fact that I knew I was inherently watching a magic trick because mm. I could see the plasticine moving. And obviously everyone as a child plays with Play-Doh or plasticine. So you're inherently aware of the material you're seeing move. But there's something delightful about watching it. You know, the fact that this this stuff was moving around and creating a character that you were 
believing in, listening to, moved by. I just found it absolutely intriguing. And I was like, what is that? What is that? I want to do that. So I went off to the careers office and they didn't know what I was talking about. In 1991, there was no animation. I mean, it's moved on now. One of them thought I was saying aviation and started trying to sign me up for flying courses. (laughs) Another one thought I said laminator. So they thought about sending me off to make laminating machines. I was like, no, 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 because I didn't know what it was called either. The other thing is, I mean, it's amazing to think at that point then, I didn't know it was called animation. (laughs) Certainly didn't know it was called, well, it was called stop frame then. Uh, It's now moved on to stop motion. But at that time, someone said to me, oh, I think that's called stop frame. And I was like, so I went to the careers office and they were like, I've never heard of it. And (laughs) I managed to get onto a media course. And the guy that ran the course said, well, so long as you do photography in the course, we'll set you up a Super 8 camera and you can start doing your own animation stuff. And I did that. So kind of right from the beginning, I set my own course up. I had a little room in the back that had animation. I used to get kids coming in wanting to do animation. And the next year they said, oh, will you run run the animation course? And I was like, well, I haven't finished this one yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still supposed to be doing my media course. And I've instantly become the teacher on the second course. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And then that kind of went on to Farnham uh, animation and then on to... um, I did a yeah degree, animation degree at Farnham, and then I went. I was really lucky to be one of the five chosen to go down and do the um, Ardman model, uh, Ardman animation course at the time. Oh my gosh, I'm super envious of that. <laughs> I, no, it was fantastic because the 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 Farnham course, although it was great, it was art school, so you know there was a lot of lectures and stuff and all this sort of stuff, and you got a chance to make your own film, which I did, so it's great. But the Ardman course was specifically set up by Ardman because they I think Ardman were fed up with people keep coming out of college not being able to animate they just had all these art degrees and what they needed were people that were ready to go you know give them a a, a commercial they can just go on the commercial and doing it so their course that they ran for nine months was very intense it was it kind of had all the elements of animation in it so you know the first week you were learning the difference between a bouncing ball and a ping pong ball and a bowling ball you know, if you drop a bowling ball on the floor, why does it drop so quick and why does it not move anywhere? Which are all the principles of animation and then moving on to squash and stretch and overlap and all the other things. So I really enjoyed that because that was more up my street. That was like, wow, now we're really starting to understand, you know, not only how something moves, but how to give it a personality, you know. And then then you start mixing in dialogue and suddenly this lump of clay is not only talking, but you're watching it and it's got emotion and movement and gravity and all the rest of it that becomes amazing then yeah yeah i i think it's incredible that you were let go you're probably super were you down in the dump, dumps after that well, <laughs> like after I'm that you at home with a tub of ice cream or something watching the tv <laughs> and then ardman comes on and you're like i have my new inspiration for the rest of my life now <laughs> well like i said it was... didn't even know what it was no very very odd no very odd because don't forget this is this is before Nick Park had done Creature Comfort. So I think, yeah, that's you know, there's, I think, yeah, like I say, Nick, I think Ad, uh, Nick, Pete Lord, Pete Lord was doing um, War Story, the, the, the lip sync series, you know, the whole, do you remember the lip sync series? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so when I went to Ardman, I went down to Ardman for a little bit. So I was, I was really lucky. I consider myself lucky because I always think I was down at Ardman when they were doing some really good stuff. Like Golly was doing Rex the Runt. So I got to see all that being made. 
and Nick Nick Park was doing um uh oh what's the third one with the sheep? Uh Shaun the Sheep? Not Sean the the the, the, the Wallace and Gromit ones. Oh, God, my memory for names. Oh, uh, oh, it's a pun about shearing, shaving. Uh... Well, close shave. I can't think of it. Yeah, <laughs> I've watched it five hundred times. I know it's mad, isn't it? The minute you start talking about it, you forget it. Yeah, I, um, yeah. So the, close the, shave, I think it's called. Is that it? Close shave, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's all this brilliant stuff, and they were in their little studio. They were down in Gasferry Road in this little studio, and it, I just, I just absolutely loved it. Man, it would have been so incredible to feel stuff. Yeah, I just love the whole creativity of it. Like, you walk in there and everyone's, like, really keen about plasticine. Whereas all my mates were like, what, you're going to play with plasticine? I was like, I'm not playing with it. I'm trying. <laughs> how, like, how big were the sets? Because, like, when you watch those films, they look huge. There's there's all these contraptions. And, like, how how big are the sets you're talking about when you when you walk in there? Um. Well, like to be honest, a lot of them are closed off because the animators are in there, and you're not allowed to sort of go in and bot and, and sort of disturb them. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't get to see Matt, but um, I would imagine that they're pretty big. Yeah, I mean, mm. you know, they're not. They're well, I suppose they're big compared to us independent animators because we're independent animators like me. We're we're so used to not having loads of money to have space. We make everything little, don't we? Like yeah. your duck wizard set wasn't enormous. Using tweezers to. <laughs> yeah, because you just haven't got the money to make huge, great, elaborate sets. But oh, so yeah. the sets were probably quite big. But now compared to where Ardman have moved to, so if you looked at a Wallace and Gromit set in 1991, it, to me it probably would have looked very big. Mm. But you look at a set from the scientists, you know, the the pirates film they made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been massive stuff. They probably are really big sets because they've got bigger stuff and more budget and bigger money to do it. So, you know, it's all relative to the money you've got, haven't isn't it? Yeah. So, okay, so um I'm just thinking here, you were let go from your job and then you immediately started school. How did you support yourself through all that? Well, I, I, I lost my job and then I went off and did a, a two two year BTEC course. So I was a mature student because I was twenty something at the time, yeah. which they considered a mature student. So I got that paid for, and then I went uh, the council pay for it. You know, it, um, it's kind of government schemes and things. I don't know what I don't know what you guys have in your country or other things, but here I think when you leave school you can go and do a BTEC course. I think you were or uh, I'm, Probably going back years now. It's probably all changed now. But in my time, you were allowed to do a BTEC course, but you were only allowed to do one. So mm. if you went to a course and decided actually you've, you've enrolled onto a maths BTEC course, but you didn't want to do it, that's it. You've cooked your goose. You can't go on and do another one. Oh, I see. Luckily, I wanted to do animation. So I kind of had the ability to go from one to the next, like stepping stones, because I was constantly wanting to do the thing I was on. So I went from BTEC to a degree, and then lucky enough to be down to Ardman. But I suppose you have to still be lucky enough to be accepted onto these things. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky that I was accepted onto the Farnham course. But then equally, because I was so passionate and so driven by this stuff, I mean, I instantly just got a Super 8 camera and started making it. So, you know, I constantly from a very early age had lots of enthusiasm and showreels of work because I would just buy a hundred feet canister of super eight and just go out and move things be it take it on the beach and move pebbles or animate plasticine in my bedroom do you know what i mean i would constantly... yeah, yeah just anything so therefore that whenever i went to a tutor or something i might not have had the academic 
results because I didn't do too great at school academically. But I did have this portfolio of work, which, of course, in our game, it's all about what it looks like, isn't it? It doesn't really matter whether you've got a oh, yeah. If you do a brilliant walk or run cycle, you're in. Yeah, marks are irrelevant in the, once you're at a job. <laughs> once you're at a job, you, yeah. you can do, yeah. So, okay, so um, how did you end up make, supporting yourself as a stop-motion animator? Like, what did it actually take to move from, you know, buying these Super 8, uh, like, film and moving pebbles to actually getting paying clients and building a studio? Well, I mean, this funny thing is we could have a whole hour podcast on how I got into it because... Well, welcome to this podcast. Welcome. If you want the history... It's going to be a full hour on how we... <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, I I started doing... Uh, I I, wanted, I did animation, but I just had... I, all I did was hold down full-time jobs and just do it whenever I could. So I, had, I was a postman, delivery driver, tire fitter again... Um, carer, where you go around, you know, and look after old people. Um, oh, just hundreds of jobs, and then I would just animate. So I met my girlfriend, and we moved, rented a house which had a loft. So I used to work, and then I used to go up and animate in my loft. But every single set I made could not be more than one and a half feet wide because it wouldn't go through the loft hatch. Mm. So I had to get up in the loft. And animate but she used to go to bed and i used to be animating until three in the morning and she used to say can you not tread so heavy heavy upstairs because i can hear your feet on the floorboards <laughs> so <laughs> i used to be up there animating and then and then her dad gave her some money and we bought a shed to put all the tools in but <laughs> i hijacked it and it became my little studio um so i started animating down in the shed which was hilarious because it was like baking hot in the summer and freezing cold in the winter so i was either animating and trying to keep the plasticine from melting in the summer or <laughs> animating in the winter and trying to warm it up in my hands before i could even move it because it was like blocks of ice when i went down there in the morning and then <laughs> did you ever make a film where you can just watch the slow progression of the characters melting it's, what you want that's is happened a, to me before <laughs> what you want is a, a film of me becoming an animator because i start off in Northbrook in 91, skinny with hair. And as I go through, moving right up to where I'm one in Pigbird now, I've basically got fatter and the hair's gone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I've become fat with no hair and that'd be quite a good time lapse over the period of this film, just to watch me. The um, animator's journey. <laughs> yes. Um, and then Denise, my wife, got married. Denise, my wife, was left some inheritance money from an uncle of hers, and that allowed us to buy a house or get the deposit for a house, but the ha but it had a garage in the back garden. And that garage became Full Hardy Films, which was my mm. first proper studio. So I used to work in there. And then I worked in there for many years. And then So wait, but did you have – were you just making stuff for yourself kind of, or were you getting constant clients and making short was, things for them? I was gradually going along. I was, I've always worked on other jobs. I've never, well, other than the three years when I did strike, that was the yeah. only time ever when I was fully employed in an animation. Was it, were you yeah. living the dream then? Because you were just fully animation or was it kind of stressful? I was living the dream, but my, my goodness, did it come at a cost. You know, trying to make a hundred minute stop motion feature film. Yeah. It's like trying to keep a 400 ton train on the tracks. So, yes, I was... I was living the dream and as much as I was making a feature film, but my God, did I come out of a, I went out of a garage straight into, you know, a full on wallop of an industry. It was like, wow, you know, from working on my own for many years to suddenly having 
I don't know, 30 model makers in a room and seven or eight animators that are all looking to you for answers all the time. <laughs> that you sounds know. incredible. It is incredible. Absolutely brilliant. But at the same time, it, it was massively demanding. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I kind of met Jeremy, who was one of the producers who knew Edward, which was the other producer. And both of them said, oh, we're thinking about making a stop motion feature film. And I said, um, well, this is great, obviously, but do you know the beast you're about to embark upon? And they were like, yeah, no, no, it'd be fine. We'll do it. And then um, it happened. And it was, yeah. they, both of them said to me, well, we didn't expect it to be like that. And you think, no. I, that I want to get into the story of how you made Strike because I think it's absolutely incredible. But I want to know a little bit more about kind of the industry in the UK because sitting here in Canada, you know, I see Ardman all the time. It's such a, yeah. it's got like such a big cultural influence, I think around the world. Like I grew up watching Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and all these things. Yeah. And so it just seems like there's so much stop motion coming out of the UK, like commercials are, are in stop motion and stuff all the time. So what, what is the industry actually like there? Um, well, obviously, I mean, Auburn are absolutely fantastic and they're, you know, they've always, they're a kind of double-edged sword for me because on one hand, I've got nothing but praise for them because if it wasn't for them, I would never be into animation. And I don't think the animation world would exist without them. Mm. But on the other hand, no one else does anything in England that seemed to be able to compete with Ardman. Ardman mm. sort of are so big that they kind of have everything, it feels. So, mm. on what, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I love them and I think they're brilliant. But equally, no other feature films come out of England other than Ardman, really. Yeah. Is, they, there a lot of, is there a lot of commercial work? There's lots of see what in England I, th I mean there's a company down in Wales called Animortal that do fe did um, a feature film. Sorry, the name of the thing escapes me now. What was it? Um, oh, I can't remember. Sorry, he'll be li livid if he's listening. Um, Mike Moore, uh, Animortal down in Wales, he does it. Um, so he's great. He's got that studio down there, and we were the only other studio on the, uh, on the south coast in England that actually made a feature film. Really? So you've got Ardman, really. So if there's any feature films coming out of England that are cinema feature films. Really are you talking about Chuck, Chuck Steele, that film? Chuck Steele. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, that was that was Mike Mort's Animortal. So that came out yeah. of Animortal. And I, as far as I know, I could be wrong here, but as far as I know, there's hardly any feature films that come out of England. Most of the feature films that you see on, on, on the cinema are probably either America or, I mean, there's, they're either Leica. Yeah. Or, well, uh, how many how many studios are in the UK? Because if uh, like in Canada right now, there's a couple. But if you go to Portland, for instance, where Leica is, there's a whole bunch of uh, smaller studios like Stupid Buddies and and all these yeah. other. Studios. So like, what is how if I move to the UK right now, how mm. available is work? I guess is what I'm asking. Like, is it fairly uh, easy now to get into stop motion in the UK? No, I don't, I don't think it's ever been easy. I think it's very competitive, and obviously, the more it goes on, and the more people get to see it and know about it, especially with social media and stuff, you can put your yeah. work out there very quickly. So, therefore, I think the companies have got lots of people that they can choose from as to who they want to use. But I mean, like I say, there's lots of small, independent little studios dotted around England that do all sorts of stuff. Um, mm. All brilliant, fantastic stuff. So I know there are, but, you know, you'd have to be like a little bee pollinating from studio to studio. You'd have to be a little yeah. animator that just went from one studio to the next. But I think, I mean, the, the animators we had on strike, Dan, for instance, Dan Wilkinson, was constantly, had his ear constantly to the ground listening for 
what the next project is. You know, any animators that come in, he would always be networking and talking and what are you doing after this? Where are you going? So, you know, like I say, they're all like little bees that pollinate a flower and then fly off and, and find another little flower to pollinate. That's kind of how they all are. And I think so long as you're prepared to live that way, yeah. that's great, I think. But the thing is, you have to be obviously prepared to up sticks and move to do a job in Europe and then back to Spain and then back to England and then back. You know what I mean? You need to. Yeah. So it sounds like you got to really be sure of yourself that this is, you know, this is what I am getting into, but I'm getting into it because I love this. Yeah, I think you've got to love it. But I also think that you really need to be ideally at the stage where you haven't got wife and kids and all that, because it must I mean, you know, when I got married and got my little so boy. So if you have wife and kids right now, get rid of yes. them. <laughs> well, if you've got wife and kids right now, you've if you're the if you're the sort of person that can actually leave them. See, I never, Denise used to say to me, why, do, why don't you go to America and find work? And I used to think, because it would break my heart. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've got a three, I've got a two-year-old boy. I mean, until you've actually become a dad, you don't realise that the little buggers get you. You know, yeah. they come out and you actually love them instantly. They're like, wow. So to to wrench myself out from that and fly off and live for, for five or six months down doing stuff on Leica, it's a brilliant opportunity. And yes, I would have seen some amazing things. But you cannot forget the fact that you're not watching your son grow up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's I invaluable. Do, I couldn't do it. I know a few couples who both of them are animators and they, they kind of time it together so that they both either one has like a gig they can do from home while the, they go both and live somewhere or they both find work in the place that yeah. they're going to. So I guess every situation is different. It's just whatever. Yeah. Like you're, you're kind of describing whatever works for you. Like you have to give sacrifices and. and yeah what you want right yeah i mean i you know dan that was on strike dan wilkinson he he's young you see so he's quite he loves it because it will give him the chance to travel travel the world see things and he's living his life you know he loves yeah. animation but dan not only loves animation he he loves all the different styles and looks and feels of it yeah. all so he's constantly sponging you know he's like a big sponge he's taking it all in yeah so yeah yeah but I, I talked to Will, Will Hodge, who's another animator who's been doing it for years and years and years. And he says to me, it does get quite grueling now having to keep, you know, up in all your clothes in a suitcase and go flying over because he's my age. He's 40 odd. And he's like, I feel like I'm sort of losing out a lot on life. I get, I'm getting a lot because I love my work and I love animation. But he says, you know, I've, I've not got the wife and kids and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, everything, life, there's always a payoff, isn't there? There's always something that no one, no one has everything. Yeah, why can't everything just be easy? <laughs> <laughs> Born into this world, and it's just a constant struggle. <laughs> so, so you've got your shed. <laughs> so you've got your shed, which is you know you've built a studio there. You're quite comfortable. You've you've gotten clients. How how many productions do you actually work on every year? Um, well, I haven't got my shed, in, shed anymore. I'm, I'm lucky. I've actually got a studio now. I've got a little studio. Ah. So, um, yeah, I've kind of gone up. I've sort of stepped my way up. Yeah, so now I've got a studio, and um, I try and get clients and try and do that. But I've still got my part-time jobs. Still mm. don't, still don't have yeah. it fully. I'm, I'm going back into care. I've got to do some. I've got to applied for a position as a care worker. It's quite weird actually because when I go around promoting strike. Because Strikes the feature film, I kind of, and I'm the director, I kind of always get this sort of prestige thing where I get flown over there and put up in a hotel for a few days, and then I have yeah. to come over and do Q&A. And, 
you know, everyone thinks you're famous and got money because you've made a stop motion feature film. But what they don't realise is on the Monday that I come back, I've got my cleaning job and my home care job where I go around and give sort of old people sandwiches and help them put them into bed and change their pads and things because they weed and food themselves. Yeah. You think, so there's kind of constantly, which I suppose is quite grounding, but at the same time you think this is really weird because I've made this stop motion feature film, which should be the absolute pinnacle. Yeah, yeah. But I still, know. I, I yeah. love that you're sharing this because it, as like for me growing up and hearing these amazing stories of successful directors and things, it's very intimidating because you're like, I'm just an average person. How can I accomplish something like this? Mm. Um, you know, and hearing that, you know, you've got you've got your part time jobs while you're trying to make this happen. I think that's incredible that you're you're doing both and supporting yourself and your family. But it just it just brings it, uh, you know, grounds it a little bit more for taking away that, you know, that unattainable magic reality that i always assumed the animation world was when i was when i was younger well i think everyone does i think i did you know i always i always thought that you know at some point i'll be able to make this my job i mean i'm I'm, again i'm you know i'm i've I've dedicated my whole life to it and i'm very committed and hard working with it but equally along the way you have to have some luck and you know jobs will come my way through pure determination and never giving up and wanting to do it but at the same time, I have to do my part-time jobs. But if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't be able to do any of this. She yeah. is the breadwinner. She's a social worker. So she works all week doing the, the main job, which helps pay the rent. I constantly chip in being able to help. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be able to do anything. I'd have to go and do my full-time job. I'd have to, If I had a rent, you know, rent in England is really expensive. If I had to find seven, eight, nine hundred pounds a month for my rent, there's no way I could be messing around with plasticine films. No way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the ridiculous thing is when you get um, when you get a contract to make a, 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 a film of some sort, be it a little commercial or something, you usually get a nice little bit of money that comes with it. So it kind of tides you over for a period of time. But there's no way I would be able to survive the dead time, the downtime, without someone in in on your, in the, in the camp with you that's that's picking you up at those stages, mm. helping um yeah so i mean like i say it's just it's it's a real honestly it's a really tough gig animation. so before when you said to you know not have the wife <laughs> yeah no get the wife back i've changed my mind get her back. Get the wife back because she's the breadwinner yeah actually she's all right get her back put her on this podcast <laughs> no uh, tell me off in front of everyone yeah yeah well no thank you for sharing that i i really appreciate that it's it, um because like part of why I run this podcast is really just to learn what it takes and, and what other people are doing to pursue something that they love. And, and I think that's fantastic. Um, so, and you, you said something earlier as kind of a joke, you know, you ask yourself every year, why are you pursuing this? But what is the answer that you, you get when you ask yourself, why are you pursuing this every year? Well, for me personally, I, 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 it's, it's just so rewarding when, when you actually write something like you've got an idea in your head and then it becomes a a film and then it starts to breathe life and as you you know it's all stepping stones again you have an idea for a film and it's kind of like a sort of loose fluffy idea and you don't really know where it's going and then over a period of time years or months or whatever it takes you you this story sort of emerges and you start to and then you start to get the characters i mean at the moment i've got one an idea that i've got for for a story about a bear and a warthog right and um 
in my head, I've always had this story, these sort of misfit pair that managed to meet up and end up going on this journey. But actually, as the years go by, I start to develop them up. So I now know what the bear looks like. He's called Doug. And I know that the warthog is called Gus. And I know their characters. And as soon as it gets to that stage, it starts becoming exciting. And I think once it gets to the stage where you've not only got their personalities, but you're now writing their dialogue, you know what Doug would say. You know what Gus would say. You know what they'd be like in a situation because of their personalities. Once you get to that stage... It's exciting. But when you get to the stage where they're starting to come to life and animators moving and be it me or someone else, that that sense of reward, that feeling of actually watching something that doesn't exist. come Because to me, really, animation's not really that exciting. Moving. Yeah. Something. What's yeah. really exciting is like your little duck wizard. The personality. If you just move that wizard on and he, he wasn't really that exciting. You just go, well, yeah, it's just moving. But the fact that he bounds on with all that enthusiasm and is a bit of a burke, he can only make things out of duck wizardry. You know, <laughs> all that stuff, you think, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. Look at that. And that is the exciting. And I think that's the bug that you can't shift. Yeah. You, as, a, as a filmmaker or director or an animator or whatever you are, you can't get past these silly little characters in your head living. Like, I <laughs> hear Doug and I hear Doug and Gus in scenarios talking and arguing all the time because I think, oh, that's funny. You know, you'll be sitting on the train or whatever and you'll see something or hear something and you'll think, oh, yeah, that would make – that Doug would get that wrong and that would make Gus angry. What would he say? And then you think about it and then you – you know what I mean? Before you know it, you've got this whole scenario and you think that's the brilliant – that's the bit you can't put down. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm just, obsessed with that. I, it's like – bicycle wheel you'd be like i don't want to move spokes on a bicycle wheel you know making a rocket fly around the moon loads of times you think no 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 it's when someone says to you right that you've got a salt and a pepper pot now the pepper loves the salt start making them react the salt doesn't want to know the pepper but the pepper loves it you think oh right okay now suddenly you're putting all that emotion into them and they've suddenly become alive you know the little pepper pots peeking out from behind the fruit bowl you know, there's all this sort of stuff going on. And that's the exciting thing, isn't it? That's when it becomes interesting. I mean, when I'm animating, I'm just obsessed with that, you know, exporting that that cool or interesting thought I have in my imagination and thinking about how somebody's going to react and, yeah. and experience it the whole time. I'm like, oh, what if I what if I move it this way and they weren't yeah. expecting that? And how are they going to feel about watching this thing that they've never seen before? Exactly. And, you're totally absorbed in it. And also, yeah. the other thing is you're... The puppet is showing you. You're you're animating it, but the, this this you know the tilt of a head or the twist of an eye or whatever. Suddenly you think, oh look, he looks like he's reacting that way, and you're kind of being introduced to them. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's it's almost like an exploratory. You know, you you don't really know the the character until they they come out. They start they start appearing, don't they? You think, oh, I didn't know, because you make a puppet and you've got no idea how it wants to animate until you start physically moving it. You think, oh, he doesn't like yeah. moving his arms like that, so you end up moving his arms in a different way, and suddenly he has a personality. The way he holds himself, the the weight he likes to shift on one leg is over that side because he prefers it that side, and suddenly you're introduced to them, and that is absolutely fascinating and really exciting. And that is what makes animation so brilliant because you're being introduced to all these characters. So when someone says to you, I don't know how you have the patience to animate, you think, <laughs> I don't know how you have the patience to drive a forklift truck for 40 years around a building. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's I what I love. I don't know how you do that. 
Yeah, that's what I love about stop motion too, because when you create a puppet, like I didn't expect the wizard to be so wiggly when I created him. I just needed his arms to move. So I just put (laughs) wires in them. And then I realized that, you know, these arms can only move in a certain way and it might be more interesting to expand on their limitations, really. And then he just turned into this wiggly character. Until you started animating, you probably didn't realize he was going to be that bouncy a a character. No, yeah, exactly. But and and that's the thing with 3D is like with 3D you're in some ways you're trying so hard to mimic reality and and physics because you want part of 3D is like you want to impress them that it looks so realistic yeah. and it's almost harder to constrain yourself and do something kind of like what the Spider Verse did where they you know they really uh, pushed what 3D could be because you're striving for more realism and that's what people expect with stop motion you can you know, you're you're constrained by the restrictions of what you have and you have to get really creative. Well, there's so. a kind of weird spontaneity to it, which you don't get in other things, I don't think. Well, yeah. I suppose you do, but, you know, it's the fact that, like you say, you, you bring on that, that duck wizard and you start animating him and it's not until you start animating you suddenly realise, actually, his little legs like to bend this way when he lands. And all yeah. these things that you do instantly, the viewer watching it just accepts that he lands and his little knees bend out that way. And that's the way he is. But it's not until you're animating it that you think, oh, this is really funny. Look how stupid he is. He's he's bounding and leaping around all over the place. And well, you're, you're introduced to it. His legs come out at the side because I, I made them so small that I couldn't actually bend them. So I had exactly. to figure out how to make him jump without bending his legs. So he just exactly. and I, out I, at the sides and go up. I think it's brilliant. I personally find stop motion brilliant for that because especially when it's quirky animation, when it's quirky stuff, you think that's brilliant because you're you're limited by what the puppet will do. I mean, you know, if you've got an £80,000 puppet from Missing Link or whatever, like a one that's been made by McKinnon and Saunders and it's absolutely exquisite, it's beautiful, it's like a Swiss, Swiss watch, it's, you know, you can get this thing to do it. But when you've got a lump of styrofoam with some felt on it, <laughs> or bendy legs you think this character is going to have to do something that he's going to tell me what he can and can't do because i can't make him bend at the spine he hasn't got anything in him he's a solid block so you well, start putting characters in there like when he lands his his hat goes up in the air or his little eyes yeah. or you start and you know it becomes exciting like that doesn't it because you're not you're not interested in the intricacies of how a hand turns or how right, someone yeah. flicks perfectly through a book you're thinking, I want to know how his little arms can't reach the floor. So how is he going to pick that book up? Exactly. Well, I feel like maybe we should talk about Strike Your Film because you have so many uh, interestingly designed characters, like the bull who is just a giant, like, uh, I, I don't know, just a mass <laughs> with arms and a head in the middle. Like, I don't even know how you animate that half the time. Well, it was quite funny because... One of the guys that brought down the money for for, for Giggle First Strike was a guy called Edward Catchpole. And Edward, brilliant, you know, great producer, but he'd, he he's very high up in Disney. So he's very used to everything being being achievable because you've got a big budget. Or And I remember having sort of conversations with him very early on about Strike. And he was saying, you know, Trevor, the mole looks very quirky. It looks this and it looks that. And saying to him, right, the first thing you've got to realise, Edward, is we we haven't got the budget to make this anatomically correct so forget all that you and and the other thing is the more an audio the more something looks human the more the the more unforgiving the audience are 
if something looks human, if you make a plastic character that looks human, in, instantly people expect it to move human. The more quirky and funny you make it, you're less the less expectations you have. The minute your little duck wizard walks on, my expectations of what it's going to move like and do are removed. I'm instantly amused by what it does because I don't expect it because it's anatomically incorrect. And I said to Edward, the budget... Animation is all about for me. Like, I, I want to surprise and delight you in in the unexpected versus replicating reality because we already have live action we already have reality like let's let's go into the fantastical and but I think the reality and animation costs fortune reality and animation costs fortune. look at missing link look how much they've spent to make those characters yeah. look and feel human so we yes. didn't have that budget so i said to him i'm sorry but louis is going to have to be a big block with us <laughs> and when i storyboard it i'm going to have to work out all the cheats so you never see Louis bend down and pick something up. You see Louis's arm pick something up. So it's a cheat. So I've storyboarded in all those physical cheats because that's the only way to do it. You won't see Mungo or you won't see many of the characters stop a ball in, in the, in, with their feet. You're cut to a football boot stopping a ball. Yeah. <laughs> because the character's little legs don't bend up far enough to get – it just looks stupid. You know, the minute a puppet's legs bent up well past its, its, its chest <laughs> – stop a ball people just go well that looks ridiculous so you just put cheat in there you just put a big football boot stopping a big ball and cut it in in the edit i think it's insane that you had like to approach something where you had a constantly moving ball in a scene is just that's already yeah out of my league (laughs) 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 so so maybe let's talk about how you actually got i want to hear the story of how you actually may produce the film because um, it's insane to me that you independently, you know, produced an entire, what is a hundred minutes <laughs> yeah. stop motion film in three years. And it's in theaters right now. Like I'm, you know, it's, isn't it, it's coming to North America soon or it's already yeah, here. Yeah. No, it's, it's done really well. I mean, it's, it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was made for very, very little money and incredibly quick. I mean, it's three years, but it wasn't three years. It wasn't three years to make it. I mean, there was months and months and months there of me and Edward sitting down working out the initial idea. Yeah. And then there was a couple of months of Neil sitting down writing the script. Um, so, okay, so I want to make a I want to make a feature film in stop motion. Where do I start? <laughs> well, again, you see, again, it's a mixture of dedication, hard work, but also a very a, a lot of good luck because. Yeah. My friend Neil, who wrote Strike, is actually a live action actor. And he had just finished a film working on a live action film that Jeremy had produced. And Jeremy's the producer on Strike. So I got in touch with Jeremy and said to him, oh, I really like the film Neil was in. And Jeremy said, oh, thanks, Trev. Oh, by the way, can we meet up? Because I want to talk about making a stop motion feature film. So, of course, I take it with a pinch of salt because people say that, but they honestly don't know. The amount of people say, I want to make an animation because they think Wallace and Gromit is made out of plasticine and, you know, cornflake puppets for sets. When you tell them them it's 150 grand a minute or whatever it is, they go, what? You know, so suddenly they're not so keen. So I took it as a pinch of salt. But Jeremy then said to me, oh, we've got Edward on board, who's um, ex-CEO of Disney. And really, without Jeremy and Edward, I would never, I would, well, it's not, it's, I, I wouldn't, I would not have been able to make Strike if it wasn't for Jeremy and Edward, because Jeremy was one of the producers, so he could put some money in, but because Edward was CEO of Disney, he knew a lot of people with money that would be prepared to put in some money to make the film. So he got in touch with a guy who runs a um, toy company in Germany, and the guy who, make, who 
owns the toy company, said, yeah, well, so long as I can have the merchandise rights, I'll put in the money to make it. So Strike was a very, very odd one because it was a combination of good luck. But also because Jeremy and Edward got the money from this guy from a toy company, there was no pre-production. It went from an idea, uh, a kind of concept that was that it'd be nice if we could make it to suddenly this money coming down and, and, and Edward going, right, well, we need a studio. This is going now. And I was like, what? So I had, um, I had model makers in the studio trying to make stuff that I hadn't even drawn. The storyboard wasn't even done. Neil was still writing the script. Where did what? you get these model makers from? Did you did you know them personally, or they were just brought on? Or? Well, lots of freelance ones, but again, very you know, uh, a, a course again, a drop of absolutely manic, but a drop of good luck. The course mm. down the road, ironically, the B Tech course that I originally started this podcast with, talking about the little course I did. No had way. This, had this year started up a model making course. No way. <laughs> yeah, so we had Dan, who used to run the course, who I was on on the course with rang me up and said oh i see you're making a feature film well i'm running the model making course now do you want some model maker model model maker i was like yes which again is crazy when you think not only was strike made in record time for record money for record not very much money but 40 percent of the crew were amateur they were work experience you see mental absolutely mental with no pre-production straight in so therefore it's kind of weird because it's a blessing and horrible at the same time, because on one hand it's horrible because people want instant answers. So if someone says to me, what does Louie look like? I have to pick up a pen and paper and scribble in down because the model maker is going to start making it. Whereas, you know, Arman might have five years or another company might have five years of doing concept drawings, concept designs, work, doing test yeah. footage. So there you is know, no, you have to get rid of all the perfectionism mindset you have. You have to go, right, okay, this is what Louis looks like. Go and animate, like, right, I'll, you know, so I would draw him up, make the initial concept of Louis and then give it to the model makers and go, right, you need to start making versions of him. Louis's leg, Louis's arm. Start, and they were like, so I'd other people say, what does the football stadium look like? You think, oh, I don't know. I haven't even got there yet. Give us a pen. Um, so like, for instance, the football stadium, I didn't know what it looked like, but all I knew is I had to walk around the studio, see what equipment, see what materials we've got. So I looked in a bucket that had loads of spray paints and I thought, right, well, there's loads of orange in there. So I'll make it orange. <laughs> another box with wood and we had a big box in the corner that was full of um, recycled stuff because there's so much stuff in strike that was from recycled stuff which we didn't know at the time but actually it's turned out really good because people go oh that's amazing lots of it was recycled so i picked out an old cleaning fluid jar you know like a like um washing powder stuff right and i said to him right saw the bottom of that and it kind of makes a dome and i said right Put that dome on a bit of wood and it will look like a sort of stadium. So everything was made like that in 100 miles an hour, which that sounds so fun to me. I have like a bucket uh, as well of just random wires and gears and pom poms. And it's like, all right, I, I need a I need, I don't know, a flower pot. What am I going to make that? <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, we had Phil who came along. He was a model maker. He was really good. He, he came along with his box of bits that there was uh, over the years. He's collected bits of plastic. Chris, who was the assistant director, Chris Rowe, he came on board and he was really good at turning his hand stuff to quick, you know, really quick. He could just knock stuff up and do concept drawings really quick. So 
on one hand, it was great because there was never any point of actually any meetings. Like the production never slowed down for some for for a production meeting. It was like, what does Biggins look like? Who's the goalkeeper? And I went, right, he's an elephant. He's an elephant. Right, okay, what does he look like? Uh, he looks like this. A bit, grab a bit of paper, just draw it, and before you know it, a model maker's sitting there making it. So from that angle, it was really refreshing because it was instant. But the reverse side of that was because there was no pre-production, it was like it was like trying to keep hold of um, like a million balloons. They just all want to go up in the air and you're constantly trying to keep them down because yeah. you've got no record of anything. So the other thing is with animation, everyone's got their own way of making things and everyone's got their own way of doing things. So if you're not careful, it, as good as it is, suddenly you can massively go off style. You know, if you don't keep an eye on it, biggins can change through the film. Because the thing is, what you do over 18 months doesn't actually come to fruition until you put it on the timeline. When the editor puts it on the timeline, you suddenly then think, oh, my God, Mungo's nose is growing, shortening, his head's expanding, getting small, his legs are getting long and short. Because there's been no time to make moulds for the puppets, which keeps the continuity there. So you're trying to keep on top of that. And also... You've got animators and model makers that think, oh, I've got so much creativity freedom. I'm going to animate this and I'm going to animate that. And you think that won't work, though, because if you're coming off storyboard because you've decided actually it'd be really funky if Mungo did a few, pen, you know, keepy uppies before he kicked the ball. That doesn't match with the next shot because they've got no animatic they're following because we didn't have time to do an animatic. So, I mean, it's kind of organised chaos. So I was constantly running around trying to keep the lid on this boiling pot. <laughs> Don't, you know, animators would go, oh, Trev, I was thinking, when Mungo gets the ball, what would be really good is if he kicks it to Biggins first. And you think, no, no, don't don't kick it to Biggins first because the, the, you know, no one's animating Biggins catching it. <laughs> it just... <laughs> Which of course doesn't make any difference to that animator because he's only in the moment, but it will make a difference when you put it on the timeline. Oh my goodness, that does sound very difficult. So how how did it end up? Because I haven't seen this film yet. Um, so in your in your uh, from your vision that you had originally, and then working on it throughout, how has it ended up for you? Well, funnily enough, it's only now that I can watch it. Like when I go to the festivals now and watch it, it's really good because I can actually watch it as a viewer. Yeah. Because I can't, I couldn't, you know, when I was making it and we we were, um, we were very lucky because Jeremy and Edward have friends own a cinema in Lewis, which is a small town near here. So we were very lucky that we could go along and watch the rushes, the footage or the, you know, the off, offline edits at this cinema so we could see what it looked like. But of course, we're all watching it with a very critical eye. Yeah. So um, it wasn't until recently, really, that I can watch the film. And now when I watch it, especially with an audience and they don't care about whether Mungo's nose is slightly bigger in that shot to the last one. They're just engaged in the characters and the style and the, the, the feel, you know, Neil's brilliant script and the funnies and the character. And that for me is wonderful because I can sit there now and relax and think, I don't care about any of the, 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 the nightmare that went on to make it. I'm really enjoying that all these people are getting the gags. They find it funny. Everyone seems to love the characters. Everyone That's loves great. the storyline. So, so would, you, would you do it all over again? I would do it all over again and I want to do it all over again, but I would want it done with properly now. I would, you know, I want an actual budget to come in so that we can have some pre-production time. The other thing is I'd like to have a studio that has um, actual um, 
production rooms, you know. So, like, we've got a model making department. Sorry, departments, that's the word I'm looking for. Because, you know, you, it's so important that actually there are departments and someone overseeing that department. For I'll give you an example. When I went, when strike, strike was made, I remember sitting in the room getting it graded. And the grader was saying to me, this is an absolute nightmare because all the yellows are different. And the reason the yellows are different is because when we were setting up the lighting, we were just going and grabbing a yellow gel. So we'd just put a yellow gel on it because I thought, well, it's morning. So the orange, yellow, orange sun's coming down. So I was very aware of making sure all the light morning lights are facing in the same direction. So when it goes on to the uh, edit line, all the shadows are in the right place. So the, con- so the you know, the, cons- uh, the consistencies there. What I didn't realise is all the yellow grades gels are different grades oh, no. so all the yellows are different so you've got you've got a, a guy a grader going well this is going to take me hours to grade these to the right color where of course if you had a lighting department someone would have made a note that all the gels are a249 so therefore every single set would have had a249 as the main key light right. so i mean little things like that 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 you don't realize in production cost money and time in pre-production because they're not sorted out in in pre-production in, sorry they t- cost time and money in post-production because they're not yeah. sorted out in pre-production and that is the thing that's why you need the productions and that's why you need the departments so someone is overseeing that on the boards going right what lighting gel have you got on that does that match is are all the blues consistent if it's a night scene Someone's got half blue, someone's got a full blue, you know, and you, you, you don't yeah. notice it walking from set to set. But when you put it on the timeline, when they when one shot cuts to the next, the blues are massively different. You think, oh, look at that. You can hardly see any shadows in that because it's dark blue. Whereas this one, they've used a half blue and there's shadows everywhere. Oh, my gosh. And the so, blue's saying, well, do you want me to put shadows in that shot or do you want me to try and take the shadows out of this shot? And you go, oh, well, <laughs> you're talking four days, whichever way you go. So how is this, uh, you know, it's in theaters right now. How has this impacted your career overall? Or just, you know, your influence as a stop motion animator or your studio? Well, unfortunately, I have to say at the moment, disappointingly nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really actually quite ashamed that we've made a British film that, you know, was completely independent and quite honestly up against the likes of Ardman, a real David and Goliath story. Yeah. And we've got actually no interest. Um no one's really no interest. Like well, uh, until it wins competitions or until it wins festivals and actually then gets you know recognised, there's not really a lot of interest. I've never heard from anyone. I mean, you know, you get told it hasn't made it into this festival and it or it isn't, and you just think, well, you know, why? I mean, don't get me wrong. There's yeah. lots of podcast people like you. I mean, Squiggly came along and did stuff on it. And if I ring people. They kind of go, oh, that's interesting. We'll do something on that. But generally, as as an overall thing, you, I stupidly thought someone who made a cinema feature film surely has got to get some sort of credit. Well, it turns out not. And I don't know whether that's just because it's England. I don't know the score here. I don't know whether really there's not much interest in 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 film if it's not commercially viable. Are they only interested in films if they can clean up on shampoos? because they can sell a load of merchandise on the back of it? Or are they interested in stories and films and new talent? Because it seems to me all the time you can make a hundred million pound film that's going to make 300 million pound back with merchandise there. You get a big thumbs up. But if you go, well, I want to make an indie, a small indie, indie stop motion film for 5 million. They go, we're not going to make any money off that. 
No. Whereas when I travel around Europe with Strike, the whole attitude in Europe is vastly different. That's why you see so many films coming out of Europe that are, you know, let's take Michael DeWitt's film, right? He made The Red Turtle, which was a very lovely, beautiful 2D drawn film about a guy that gets stranded on an island and starts imagining this red turtle. Is it there? Isn't it there? Well, you'd never make that in England. They'd go, well, that's what maybe I'm talking out of line, but I get the impression they go, well, why should we invest money in that? Because mm. strange. Where are where are the feature films coming out of England that aren't commercial? That feels really disappointing too. Do you think it's? I mean, the film came out two years ago now. So, do you, like when you put it in your portfolio or stuff, has it? It really hasn't helped to get more clients, your studio, or you know, anybody working with you or anything. Uh, well. Like I say, I'm I'm not with Jeremy and Edward anymore, so I don't know whether it's brought stuff into Gigglefish. They're off doing their own thing now. We mm. all are, which is great, because they wanted to do some live-action feature films and things, horror stuff, and obviously I don't do that. So Jeremy and Edward are off doing bits and bobs. I know they're trying to get something off the ground. So I don't know whether they get emails through people looking for stuff for Gigglefish, but I don't hear from them, so I, I assume not. But... No, I know, I know it's really disappointing, and I know people out there will probably think, oh, he's negative, but... No, ironically, I, my phone doesn't constantly ring because I've made a feature film. Far from it. Like I say, on Tuesday, I've got a, I've got a, um, a job interview at Carewise, which is a, which is a care company, mm-hmm. because I haven't got the clients coming in. I, I find, I find my clients off um, websites that advertise for animators and things. I don't yeah. have so, but I mean that would drastically change. I'm sure that would all change if it won the right festivals. If it suddenly won a British Animation Award, then people will go, "Well, who's this bloke?" If it won a BAFTA, then the phones would start ringing. That's why these things are important. But we were to squall it. We were told it's not. It didn't make BAFTA. It wasn't good enough. Huh. I've just been told it hasn't made the British Animation Awards. Well, not- what do you mean not good enough? Like. To well, me, this is an incredible accomplishment. That's really disappointing. What, really disappointing. It? Yeah, well, a, a, a feature film that's made for a fraction of the budget. Yeah. And you it's employed, not, like... Made for two million. Early yeah. Man was made for 100 million, or whatever it was. Well, not only that, you... I mean, there were tons of people employed on this. I'm sure they, you know, all those model makers, for instance, got a great opportunity, learned some new skills, boosted their... Like, this is... Right. They had an absolute result. Yeah, of course, course, absolutely. And the and the mod and the animators and model makers that worked on it is brilliant because they again, you see, they're like the little bees. They pollinate. So they put mm. they put all the, the stuff they did on strike on their show reels or in their resumes or whatever. Absolutely. But as an animation director, my phone hasn't rung once to say, Oh, by the you know, I'm struggling. I I I'm now trying to talk to a woman about whether or not I can make another feature film and I'm trying to say to her, but what platform would we put it on? I can't and she's saying you know, well, have you thought about writing a script? And I say, I can't write a script. I need to know what platform is going to pick this show up to, to m- write a script for them because I need to know yeah. what their demographic of their the, the, the platform you're writing the film. There's no point in me making writing a script for a, 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 an animation that's for adults if they turn around and say, well, no, we want it for th- sort of 16 to 15 to 16 year olds. You think, yeah, well, makes- I need to know that first. So, okay, so you said it, it, it wasn't good enough for BAFTA. If you could go back, what would be the thing that would make it good enough for these festivals, do you think? I don't, all I, I don't know if it wasn't good enough for BAFTA. All I know is apparently it wasn't. It, I said to Jeremy, you know, about BAFTA, and he said, oh, they didn't, they didn't pick it up. 
And you just think, well, it's, you know, it's really frustrating because you think you can't get a more independent film. This film should be celebrated. Yeah. We were bun- like I say, most of the people that worked on Strike were amateurs. They were, they were work experience guys. We had, you know, a handful of people. Neil, this is Neil's first feature film script he's ever written, written animated feature film script. First, first animated feature film I've made. There was no pre-production. There was, you know, the money was just brought in and we it was kick bollock scramble. Off we went straight away. This should be celebrated. People should be going, God, that's amazing. You made the sets out of recycled material. You've made it in 18 months. 18 months to make a 100-minute feature film for a fraction of the cost of other feature films. This should be absolutely celebrated, but it's not. They just go... Well, it hasn't won the British Animation Awards or it hasn't won a BAFTA. Why should we be interested in it? I guess I guess it's kind of the curse of animation, too. Like the, me working on, well, you know, stop motion as well. You put hundreds of hours into uh, 30 seconds and people go, oh, cool. Nice. You know, yeah. 30 seconds. It was it was fun. <laughs> I know. So I guess maybe that's what they're seeing with this. They're like, oh, you, you know, it, it looks cute and uh, it was a good story. And by the way, yeah. I, I, I've seen a lot of photos and clips and it looks absolutely hilarious you know the creativity you've got in the background with the set designs and like all the little jokes and gags you can just pick yeah. out of every scene it, i i can't wait to see it myself no, no, we know it's popular i mean like i say it's, it's, it's been shown in over 600 cinemas around europe and yeah. i've had the oh. privilege of going and seeing it at least 10 times in different places from spain to france to all sorts of places i'm going to spain in a couple of weeks and i can guarantee you afterwards all the kids come rushing down the front because they want to talk about it. The parents shake your hand. They say it was really funny. That's brilliant. And you think, this isn't me just saying, I want recognition for a film that I've made because I'm important and I'm me. I've actually seen people enjoy it. I've seen them in the cinema laughing, enjoying it. Yeah. And you think, why isn't it good enough? Why, why isn't it picked up by someone? Why isn't someone approaching me going, you know, what should we make next? I'm happy to 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 produce something that fits with more merchandise, but I need someone to be on board to go, okay, well, this film needs to be this, that, and the other, and we can start working together. But what I'm not prepared to do is spend two years writing a script and load of concept drawings and load of characters and load of designs just to get rejection at every door I knock on because yeah. they go, well, no, because you haven't made a fee- you know, your feature film didn't make a hundred million box office or win an Oscar, so we're not interested in you. And you think, seriously? Seriously, you're not interested in someone who's spent over 25 years trying to get into an industry and has now made a feature film, cinema feature film, which is the pinnacle. You can't get any higher than that, and you're still not interested in me. Really? Yeah. Gosh, man, I, I don't know what to say about that, honestly. that That's just... Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, okay, so... This this film has not had the impact. I think it's incredible that you know you you've you got this made and it it looks amazing and the style and like it's, I think this is incredible for your career. But that's really disappointing that it hasn't really turned into. I'm hoping that you know in the next year or something somebody sees it and has an idea and gets in touch with you. I almost <laughs> feel like that's kind of how the industry works. It's just it's like coincidence after coincidence who you know. Um, but okay, so what's next for you now that you you've got this under your belt? You said well, you're talking just, to somebody just, about another feature film. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, Terry, you know, five minutes after you end this podcast, someone's going to ring me up just out of pure <laughs> coincidence and offer me a job in a feature film, and now that's going to make all of what I've just said completely nil and void. <laughs> and going to go, what's that Bert talking about? He went off and made another feature film. 
Yeah, right. Well, if you're listening and you have a uh, hundred million dollars, I recommend strongly that you get in touch with. No, I, I, need, I, need five, I need five million pounds and I need to know what platform you want it on and then I'll make you a feature film. Okay, so if you're Netflix right now and you have a budget because they just announced that they're spending X billion in the next yeah. year, yeah. Uh, get in touch with Trev because he's got a lot of great ideas. Yeah, I, I, if five, he will, he will I could, bring me on and uh, we'll make the film together. How about like five million, I reckon me and Neil could write a really funny script that's <laughs> totally bespoke to your channel and what you want and your audience, target audience. We could make something that's really funny, really good. But I just need that opportunity. I just need yeah. the chance for someone to come along and say, let's do this. Yeah, well, and, and like, I, I mean, I would love that opportunity, but I'm, I don't have all the past experience that you do. You would, you know, the next film that you make would be twice as good and done in, you know, half the time, maybe not half the time, but much more smoothly. Well, hopefully. But the other thing, of course, is it employs so many people. And my one yeah. of the things I always wanted with Gigglefish, which was the studio we've got, is um, it wasn't so much about me. It's not me. It's we. It's not never me. It's always we. It's the fact yeah. that it becomes a hub like Ardman are brilliant down in Bristol because Ardman are fantastic. They're not just interested in them. They, they encompass lots of businesses around them, lots of inter independent small businesses. They're in the cahoots with all the schools and colleges. They're constantly, I mean, you know, I know a lot of Wallace and Gromit money goes to the, to the local children's hospital. So this Ardman has become this sort of creative hub in Bristol that, mm. that constantly feeds and breathes. And I always wanted Gigglefish to be the same down on the South Coast because there's nothing on the South Coast. But there's a lot of talent down here. Got all the feature film, got all the people up in London, all the small independent companies. And in Brighton, you've got lots of artists, lots of actors, lots of skilled work persons. So I knew full well that if we could have this Gigglefish that was a, a, an animation hub, it would be brilliant because it's not just me making another feature film. It's putting filmmaking on the map in the South Coast. It's another Ardman hub. That was yeah. very important to me and still will be. That's what I want. Well, I, I also love that that's, that's what you want versus, you know, the, the personal ego. Yeah. yeah. So, so what is next for you now? Um, well, like I say, I've got I've got a few little things that I've got in the pipeline that are mine and ideas. I've got hopefully I've got a couple of gigs coming up that are paid work. I've got my daytime job. I've got um, like I say, my care work that I'm doing in the evening. I know I also spend one night a week or one night a week going around checking lamppost lights. <laughs> which is Wait, a bit what? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? It's a really cushy little job, actually. Basically, what you do is you just drop you have a, a set route. And you drive around, and if you find any lampposts that are out, uh, that have, have run out of light, the light bulb's gone, you just make a note of it and fax it in. No so way. We, I didn't even know that was a thing. That makes yeah, sense, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you think if you've got lampposts on the street, I don't know how it is in, in, in where all these other people listen yeah, in. We, but do, in England, we do. Oh, do you? Well, I don't know how they work. I don't know whether they're part of some central hub or whatever. But in in England, all the little lampposts, you only they only know they the bulbs run out if someone like me, which they call a, a nighttime inspector, goes round finds one out of light and then makes a note of it and faxes it in and then the next day or ne that week a little cherry picker comes along with a person on it and they go up in the air change the bulb and so i do that once a week so you uh, have to have a fax machine they don't have like a app you can just mark or something <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure they have but i've done this for over 10 years now and i'm oh, just wow. my fax machine so all i have is a bit of a4 paper and i just make the note of the lamppost that are out and i literally fax it to them 
gosh. Yeah, it's great. It's great because you don't have to get out of the car even. You can just drive around, see a lamppost out, drive next to it, see what number the lamppost is and make a note of it. And then that's the job done. So anyway, I diverse a bit. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm doing. And I've got this idea for a feature film. Well, me and Neil, Neil, who wrote Strike. It's mine and Neil's idea for this feature film that um, that, like I say, involves a bear and a warthog. And the warthog, the warthog's dream is to try and find this place called Xanadu. And that's that's the crux of the story, really. But obviously, there's a lot more to it and a lot of characters and great fun i mean they're good characters um even yeah. on the short even on the short little scenarios that i've got in my sketchbook of, of things they do together they are funny um, well, it sounds like you certainly have your hands full <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i'm surprised you have time to come on this podcast <laughs> no that's all right no it's good i love so, it so Maybe to, maybe to wrap things up, what is your best, you know, advice for somebody who is looking to pursue stop a stop motion career in the UK, you know, if they're listening right now? Um, well, first thing is ask yourself what, what it is you want to do. You want to be an, an animator. If, you know, if you want to be a stop motion animator, then really the the, the first thing to do, I mean, it depends. Are you talking about someone who's actually got a showreel, a portfolio, or are you talking about someone starting out? Both, maybe. You know, somebody who has a portfolio, they're just starting out too, right? So, Well, I suppose the brilliant thing about nowadays is that you don't no longer have to send VHS tapes and things around. Everything's digital. So you can actually just instantly download stuff to people. So you have got that ability, but, you know, always less is more. Equally, the companies or the studios are inundated with people sending them resumes and showreels because of the way they are. So... It's very difficult from that angle. I get it, but yeah, if you can, if you can get a contact name, first thing I always do is try and get a contact name, ring them up, or um, you know, get get a contact name from someone rather than just sending something in cold. Mm-hmm. Get a contact name and then get try and get it to that person. Um, and another nice thing to do is is you know, actually no, you can't because when I used to send my stuff out, <laughs> I used to post it. I always used to put a chocolate bar in there. I used to say you know, take a break and watch this. Um, oh, that's cute. So, you okay, so maybe maybe let me change the question a little bit. What what kind of mentality does it take for somebody to really, uh, you know, drive them forward in a in a career in stop motion? Uh, well, I suppose nowadays you'd have to sort of, like I say, try and get some sort of contact name and get in there. But equally, yeah. try and keep your show real short, punchy. Don't worry if you're making films. Don't worry that. Well, I can tell you now, the person who's watching it doesn't care for your film. They don't care. What they're looking for is the animation in it. So you're better off doing. I tell you now, you're better off sending in the first ten seconds of Duck Wizard than you are ten minutes of storyline, because the first ten seconds of Duck Wizard, your little character bounces in, but he's got all the elements of animation in there. There's squash, there's stretch, there's timing, there's pace, there's movement, there's overlap. In those first 10 seconds of him walking in with that little world and bouncing in, that will stick out much more than any long-winded show will. So you're mm. better off sending someone a GIF of <laughs> that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Look how brilliant I am in, in 10 seconds. Then going, well, I've made a film about nuclear war and it's all about a soldier that really misses his wife. No, no, yeah. no, don't do that. So if you're starting out, just send in stuff that's, don't worry about the set. Mm-hmm. Because the, other is, the other thing is, 
people always make the mistake of thinking these people are going to be impressed. When you send something to Ardman, they've got set builders, they've got model, they don't care how good your set is. If you're yeah. sending in something and you want to be a stop motion animator, send in a little bowl of water, a little ball of plasticine that rolls in and bounces out into a little character, a little monster that runs around the shot. St- one little, you know, just an infinity curve with a locked off camera. Don't worry about movements. Don't worry about camera moves. None of that. Don't worry about the lighting. As long as you can see the character. If you're going to be a stop motion animator, send in five or ten seconds of animation that they go, God, that's beautiful. That's that brilliant. makes sense, yeah. I, I I know that I've done this before, but it's like, I like that, what you said about um, don't send them the whole movie because they don't care. They don't care. Uh, and they I think, I think that's a, a mistake that at least I made in the past where I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to be so into this storyline and blah, blah, blah. And I've done that. That's why I'm telling you. impressed that I did this in my bedroom. Like, whatever. (laughs) They're just looking for the animation. The basics are there. Yeah. You you know, do 10 seconds. You can clip to the the email and say, look, there's 10 seconds. Because they'll just go, oh, I'm prepared to watch five seconds of it. Because five seconds in their day, if they're going to give you any time, five seconds, they'll go. And in, in that five seconds, you've got something that actually looks delightful. It's got a lovely little character. It's got really funny little pace and movement. They'll go, Oh, actually, this bloke's all right. And then they'll want to see more old woman. You know, this woman's all right. She's good. She's got it. She knows what she's doing. I'll, I'll get in. But yeah. to sift through a show wheel to find good bits, people haven't got any time for that now. You will just yeah. be, yeah. be put on a rejection. Yeah, I, I mean, um, since I, I published my like Sheridan animation portfolio that was accepted me into the program online and people always, uh, well, I put my email there for people to get in touch with me and ask for advice. And I get a lot of people, you know, they've got this really cool idea, but it's not executed very well. My advice is always like the professors there are looking through a thousand portfolios. They yeah. are going to spend one, maybe one second on yours. And if you yeah. can't communicate that you understand the principles and maybe, you know, push it a little further to make it stand out, then, you know, you're, you're just going in the, the trash pile. You are going in the trash pile because the other thing that people do is if you're doing computer animation or whatever, don't send them in hours of footage of various different face moving molds. Yeah. This character that goes from an angry face to a smiley face face maps or whatever they're called don't send in that they're not interested they don't care how much you've learned what they do they prefer five seconds of a character doing something and also make the character do something that's hard not easy because hours and hours of footage of a rocket going round the moon and then the camera spins 360 and shows you the rocket coming over the other side of the moon just <laughs> don't care i want to yeah. see i want you to animate a plasticine cat that has got a ball and it rolls on the floor with the plasticine ball and it looks like a cat and it animates like Simon's cat. You've seen Simon's cat? Yeah, 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 of course. Five seconds of that. Five seconds of that will get you much further than 30 minutes of going, now I've used this face mapping equipment for <laughs> this character. They don't care because yeah. they, they've got all that. Pixar yes. already got all the technicians to do all that, lighting. What they want to know is, can this bloke make a cat look cute? Because that's what the audience are going to love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's really great advice. And that's that's something kind of hard to hear sometimes, too, because as a creative, you want to, you know, show your creative voice. But oh, if you're looking for an yeah. industry job, I get you're very it, proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> I get that's the thing. I know you're proud of it. You know, that's the old, you know, that's the old the old joke, isn't it? When someone says to you, look at my baby and you go, I know you find it cute, <laughs> but I also find it annoying. <laughs> it's the yeah, same. I get that. I get it, but because also the other thing is you're learning, so you're very pleased with what you've achieved. Mm-hmm. What 
get is the person you're showing it to is 20 years down the line of bored of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. So just because you've learned squash and stretch, the person you'll send it to won't care. So what they want to know is, yes, you've learned squash and stretch, but now put it in a character. Now put it in something that the audience want to watch. Not 10 minutes of a ball bouncing up and down and going, well, look, I've made it I've made it look like a ping pong ball. You think, yes, very clever. Moving on. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I, I think that's great. Um, is there is there anything else you wanted to end off on or share that now that we're wrapping up a little bit? Um, just, um, I suppose, sorry for being a ranting lunatic. This, oh, is, no. this is what I'm like. Um, Maybe there's somebody listening who really needed to hear that. So, you know, well, I hope so, because my my heart is in the right place. I may sound aggressive when I talk. Sorry. But um, my heart is always in the right place. What I what I'm saying to you guys out there is I have spent years and years doing this and there's nothing more disappointing than when you put your heart and soul into something and send it off and you get no reaction all that does is bring you down you just get to the stage where you think well why am i bothering so just spend time doing something short and sweet that you really enjoy and are really keen and pleased with because you're better off doing 30 seconds of something you love at least then if you don't get anything back from me you just think balls to them they you know doesn't matter so what i know that's brilliant i'm really pleased with that and that will keep you sane because there's nothing more fickle than this industry you you know you like i say you send stuff off with your whole heart and soul attached and you don't get so much as an email back Mm -hmm. and it's just it's soul destroying it's absolutely soul destroying so you have to be very much of the opinion that this is all for me and I'm going to take it with a pinch of salt. And if I get somewhere, I get somewhere. And if I don't, I don't. I'm not going to beat myself up about this. I'm going to try and enjoy it. I'm going to just go with the flow and hopefully yeah. everything will come in. Well, I think that's a really good realistic attitude to have. And uh, yeah. So, well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all your experience and strike and in the industry in the uk that was really interesting for me to hear so um i'm really happy we chatted oh you're very welcome terry thank you so much for having me on and i'm yeah. really pleased that hopefully people will listen to it and enjoy it yeah well I, well i certainly enjoyed it so there you go <laughs> i had a blast yeah uh, and if you're listening and you'd like to follow trev's work or get in touch with him you can do so by checking out his studio website which is pigbirdstopmotionstudio.com and i'll include the link to that in the description of this chat And that's all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye.